0: Thanks, Paul. Hey, if you guys have your Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 84. Psalm is a big book in your Bible. It's basically like right in the middle, just a little bit to the left. If you're brand new to the Bible, in the very, very front, there's a nice little table of contents in most Bibles that'll tell you where to find it. Or if you don't have a a Bible with you, there's tons of apps you can download, get there pretty quick. But we are this summer in the Psalms, and today, Psalm 84. Psalm 84 it's a really sweet poetic psalm like most of them. This one is about specifically, it's about just a great passion and love and admiration for a specific place, for a specific place. And I don't know how many of you are like this. I am certainly uh, probably the prime example in this room of it. I know Steve struggles with this as well, but I am sentimental to a fault. Like I started to sit down and think about places that are precious to me. And I started, well, I probably don't have that many. And I started listing and I was just like, oh my gosh, there's so many places that are precious to me. Like I just started thinking about even around our city. And then I started thinking about my childhood. I started thinking about how uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I went to Lambeau Field. And even though I've only been there for one game and I've got, it's, it's, it's a place that most of my childhood revolved around watching on television and how sweet it was to be there. Or in Wisconsin, there's a camp I grew up going to called Camp Luisimo And at Camp Luissimo, which is precious to none of you, but if you took me there today, I'd probably start crying because it's the place that where I grew up, that's where I felt like the Lord was the closest to me. And so it's a sweet place. Or if we went today, if we went to Deep Ellum and we went to Cane Rosso and across the street was a Twisted Root uh, Hamburgers. And right next to Cane Rosso is a place called 2016 2616 Commerce, and on that roof is where I married Chelsea Lane. If we were to walk by that building, I couldn't walk by without looking up and looking at where I got married. And still today, if we drive through downtown, I look up at the Chase Tower where I proposed to my wife, and sometimes I get really sentimental about it. These places are precious to me. And I I mean, I'm probably to the extreme. There are like recliner chairs that have been precious to me in my life. probably need to get over, but maybe not. Some of you guys can amen that with me. Yes, sometimes a recliner chair is worth celebrating, okay? There are homes that I grew up in that like, I, I know it would bother somebody else to be on like the tour of Adam's childhood with me, but I could spend all day thinking about memories of the places I've been. And Psalm 84 is the Psalm of somebody saying, there's a precious place to me. I'm gonna write a song about this because in this place, I have met the Lord. And I would rather be there than anywhere. I'd rather, you'll hear him say, I'd rather sit outside it than be inside anywhere else. I'd rather be close here. I'd rather be close and meet God here than any place else. And I don't, he doesn't live here. He's talking about the temple. It's a place he does a pilgrimage to, a a visit to, but he doesn't get to live there. And so he writes this song about how sweet it is to be somewhere that's so precious to him because of the work of the Lord that's done there. And so that's the context for Psalm 84. Let me read it to you and over you. Listen to this, verse one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. I'll say this is the word of the Lord. You say thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. It's a sweet song song about a place to meet the Lord. I want to walk through each stanza, not each verse again, but each little stanza just to help you understand what he's saying. You think about this first two verses. He describes it as a longing and a fainting for being in the courts of God. It's just a strong desire to be there. I had the opportunity to go to Israel a couple years ago. It's a place that for my whole life, I can remember wanting to go. The first time I was supposed to go was December of 2001. And in September of 2001, the the September 11th attacks happened and all travel was shut down to the Middle East. So I never got to go until just a couple years ago. And it had just grown in anticipation for me to get to this place, the, the temple courts. To stand there and think about the fact that those were stones that Jesus walked on and places that he preached, and get to see Capernaum and, and get to see the Sea of Galilee and get to see the temple. And for me, a sentimental dude who spent his whole life reading the Bible, it was like every story I'd ever heard was coming alive. That's the experience of the psalmist. It's a pilgrimage, it's a holiday, it's a special occasion. He's finally getting to go where he likes to go, to meet with God. His soul longs and faints and sings. And then I love this, verse three and four, he describes, I think very poetically, he describes how when he gets there, there's birds who have nested there. And he creates this picture of like, how cool it would be to be a sparrow. You get to pick wherever you wanna live and this sparrow picked the temple, I actually, and I know this is weird, the way my mind works is a little bit strange, but I've had this exact thought about Dallas when I've been to the Arboretum, which is beautiful. I don't know if you've been to the Arboretum. It's be, I'm not really into flowers. Some of y'all are like, oh, the tulips at the right time of year. I don't, that's not me. But when I go to the Arboretum and I see squirrels there, I'm like, this makes total sense. Like if I were a squirrel, this is where I'd live. Like People are dropping snacks. You live in beauty. You've got the lake. You've got the trees. This is gorgeous. When I see the squirrels in my yard, I'm like, I don't understand you guys. Like the arboretum is not that far away. You have a choice. You can live wherever you want. And you picked my backyard, which is pretty janky. And you're like just running across my roof, making noise in the middle of the night. I don't get it. But if I were a squirrel, I'd move to the arboretum. That's what this guy is saying. If I were a sparrow and I got to live here, how precious would that be? of course birds are nesting in the temple. Verse 5, 6, and 7, he talks about the journey there. He's like creating this picture of like on the roads there, he's just getting happier, getting blessed, moving from strength to strength, from one kind of oasis point to another oasis point, through the valley where things are not good, to the next oasis in anticipation of getting back to the temple. In verse eight and nine, he talks about, God, bless, bless the king. Behold our shield. Take, look on the face of your anointed. Those are words describing the king. The king had a religious purpose in their society. It's, it's kind of him saying, God, I'm loving your temple. Keep in mind our nation. You know, I protect this place. Then I love verse 10. This was a pretty popular worship song when I was growing up. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And honestly, I always thought that song was, a, was about heaven uh, because why else would I be singing it? I'm not singing about, hey, God, it'd be great to be in Jerusalem. I'm singing about the new Jerusalem, I'm singing about heaven. But the more I studied this psalm, the more I realized, no, this psalm is written about a specific geography, but it's in rehearsal and it's in small picture of what I will get to experience for eternity. How much better would it be to be with God for eternity than anywhere else? The picture that he creates here, that it's better to have one day there than a thousand elsewhere, is like uh, giving you this hypothetical. In my family, we love hypotheticals. I've told you this before. Uh, My boys love what ifs and would you rathers. This is a classic Bible, would you rather, okay? And in our house, it'd be like, would you rather be a giraffe or a rhinoceros? That's the typical one. In the Psalms, it's a little different. The Psalms is would you rather, have a day with God in his place or have a thousand days, three years without him? And the psalmist says, I'd take one day with him. And I think about in my heart, do I have anything that I'd be willing to make that exchange for? I was just thinking about, if somebody literally gave me the choice and said, Adam, you can have one more day with your family, with your wife and with your three sons. You can have one day with them and then you'll, pass away or you can have a thousand more days of life but you never get to see your family again what would I choose would I pick three years of life without my family over one more day with them I feel like I'd pick one more day with my family they are so precious to me that's the metaphor the hypothetical the psalmist is saying I would rather be with God if you only gave me one more day I'd rather get it with him than if you gave me three more years of life, but I never get to be in his presence. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He says the doorkeeper picture, it's really the picture of the, the poor, the homeless who sat outside the temple gates. He's saying, I'd rather not have a home and live at the doorway than have a home, but I spend it all with the wicked. So he's, you see him building this picture of like, it, my home is not as important as this. My, my other loves, my other priorities, even the things that God would call good, they are not as good as getting time with God, as meeting with God, as being in God's place, as being with God's people. I'd give all the other things I love up to have this one love, this one place. And he concludes with saying Basically, that integrity will never be why God keeps something from me. That in walking in integrity, that's not going to be why God deprives me of something. And he calls him at the end, O Lord of hosts, which that sounds such like old New Kings James Version uh, Bible language. It hosts is armies. He uses this word several times in the Psalm. It's saying, You're a God of like strength and a God of power. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word "blessed." Think of it like the word "fortunate" or the word "happy." Like this is the one who trusts in the God of all the armies. He's going to be blessed, and that's Psalm eighty-four. And the reason I want to talk to you about Psalm eighty-four today is not because I'm trying to like uh, beef up registration for an Israel trip in a couple of years or something like that. Oh, that'd be awesome. In fact, what's really cool is we don't have to travel to any particular place anymore to worship our God. But the reason I want to talk about Psalm 84 this morning is because we have a unique time, I hope it's unique, in your life where for months our church was not able to gather like we are today. For months we had to be in our homes, we had to be isolated, we had to be separated, and in many ways, Life as we knew it before is in many ways coming back. And I want to talk about what does that mean for a church. There are many of us that loved the convenience of not gathering. For church, for shopping, for groceries, for work. It's been great to work at home. For me, I'm, I'm a very socially competent introvert. Like, I'm not afraid to be around you. I'm not afraid to talk to you. I love talking with you. But if you gave me a choice between uh, being in my home on my own or with my family or in a crowd of people I don't know, small talking, I'd choose my family hands down every time. That's me. And so some of COVID time was like a sweet delight. I don't have to go to a party. That's great oh, we get to do this meeting on Zoom and as soon as it's over, I'm already home? That's fantastic. Like that was such a pleasing thing to me. But what our church got in the habit of was not gathering together. And there's something that the church cannot be if the church is not gathering The church of Jesus Christ is not a church where it is possible for you to remain isolated and to remain a part of a church. You just can't do it. Church cannot be done online and podcast only because that's not what the church is. Church is not an event. It's not. I want to talk about just a couple things to set up the way we'll conclude this. I want to talk a couple things that you are not and that you are, and then a couple things the church is not and the church is First, let's talk about you. The first thing I want to remind you in light of everything coming back, and this is something Dallas really struggles with, but I need you to hear me. You are not, when it comes to the church, a consumer. In like every other avenue of life, people are trying to convince you you're a consumer. You need to buy this. You need to be this. And in church, I'm not here trying to sell you something nor am I auditioning to be your pastor. You are not here to consume what Eastside has to offer. We are not some kind of brand or store for you to choose from. And in Dallas, a city with so many great churches, it's so easy to forget that and become a consumer. I've had uh, sad talks with folks, sad for them, and honestly, I've had talks sad for me about this. When I, we were a couple weeks into Eastside, and when you're a couple weeks into a church plant, there's a lot of people coming to kind of check out who you are and what you got going on and whether or not they're not going to stick around. And it's so hard to fight the consumer mentality that would turn church into a product that you're deciding whether or not you're going to buy in on. And strangely and sadly, I, because I'm the lead pastor and I like to preach often, I become almost like a product to people. Like I would have coffee with people and they'd ask me, how good is your preaching? And I, How do you want me to answer that? It's very good. Oh, you should, <laughs> you should definitely come because will, it will blow your socks off. No, like a scale one to 10, 10 being Chandler and one being Piper, I'm like a four. <laughs> like, what do you want me to say? Or I've had people, and I'm not like trying to get pity. I'm just trying to let you know the inside world of this. And I'm not trying to rip on anybody who's had this thought. But I've had people come up to me after service who said to me a couple weeks in, and this was like really hard for me at the time, but I'm going to lay it out for you today. Who said, man, we loved worship today. Like the music was right up our alley. They said, do you know any churches where like the music is like that, but the preaching is more like, you know, like this? I was like, I, I preach today. Like, you want me to recommend a church where the music is like Daniel, but the preaching is anyone but me? That's what you're asking me right now. And it was so bizarre that they could disconnect the fact, one, that I was a human being with real feelings, which pastors are, by the way, <laughs> that I was like a human person. And not like part of a product or a group of amenities that they might choose to take advantage of. Listen, don't be at Eastside because we've got the best deal. Like I don't want you to be a part of this church and be like, well, it's because they've got this going on or that going on. We're going to be there or because they're, you know, we don't have a building. So there's nothing there to really tempt you. But it's like where we're meeting or what time we're meeting. Like church cannot be built around frivolous things. It's not the quality of the coffee we're serving and it's not the opportunity for ministries uh, that uh, programs that fit your week. Although I hope they do and I hope our coffee is delicious and I hope our preaching honors the Lord and I hope the singing and the music is so professional. But every once in a while we work in mistakes just to remind you that, you know, we're not perfect. Those are always intentional though. Like, I don't want us to create a mentality where we are part of Eastside. Why? Well, it's the quality of this. It's the opportunity for that. The church is not built on you being a consumer. The church is not built on you being a spectator either. If you're at Eastside because you love to be entertained or you love to watch or you're online because this is a better option than something in your own neighborhood. Man, no church has called its members to be spectators and its staffers to be servants. If you are a part of Eastside and you're here, we expect to be serving one another and participating with each other and involved and plugged in and not just people who go, that's where I go, I want it to be who we are. To be a part of Eastside is not to say they ever. To be a part of Eastside is to always use we language. Well, we are doing this for Christ. We worship on Sundays. We serve during the week. We want to see things different in the city and in this nation for the sake of Jesus Christ's name. None of us are spectators. None of us are getting to watch people on the field who are doing the real work. We're on it, we're in it. I mean, the, the huge Teddy Roosevelt fan of, part of me wants to go into the man in the arena speech right now, but honestly, you can look it up later. It's way better than anything I've got to say and it's not really like about godliness, but I want our church to, instead of being a bunch of critics who can sit around and talk about what we could be doing better or what would be great if Dallas was different, let's be the ones who change it. Let's be a part of it. Let's be servants. Let's be, instead of consumers, let's be contributors. Or instead of consumers, let's be caregivers or caretakers, which, by the way, is the same word, even though give and take is, I don't really get it. You can be a caregiver or a caretaker here, but either way, you're caring, okay? (laughs) Let's care for one another. And COVID made it really hard. How do you care for one another when you don't see each other? How do you gather as a family of believers when you're not allowed to be in the same room? And now we are. Here we are. So how do we care? Anytime you come in here as a consumer or a spectator, somebody else is coming in here in desperate need of care. And the reminder is that the body of Christ is not the hired staff only, it's all of us. And it's the call to care for one another. And how will we care for one another whom we do not know? And how we know them if we do not gather. What an honor it is to be able to get together. So, we may not be consumers or spectators, we are caregivers and servants. And then, collectively, the church, I want to remind you we are not an event, the church is not a place, which is easy for us to remember since we literally do not have a place. This is, this is Schofield. We refer to this as Schofield. This is not Eastside. Eastside is gathering at Schofield. What an easy reminder that Eastside is a gathering of people, not a geographic address. Eastside is people at work for the gospel in the city. It's, it's not an event that takes place on Sunday afternoons. What we're doing on Sunday afternoons is gathering those people to worship God who deserves it and to care for one another. The church is not, and this is really, really important, church is not a homogenous family. It's not, hey, I need to find a group of people who look just like me, who think like me, who act like me, who make as much money as I do and have a similar stage of life as I do and have uh, similar uh, finances. Man, that's just what I need for a church. That's not the family of God. The family of God we see in the Bible and we want in this life is a family full of diversity, full of people of different ages, different races, ethnicities, different nations they came from, people who dress different, talk different, who speak different languages, who smell different, who make different amounts of money. It's sometimes somebody will walk into a church service and they'll look around and they'll think, and maybe this is you today, they'll think, I don't fit here. I don't blend in here. And in that moment, I want to remind you, men and women, if you walked in today and feel like you don't fit, that's exactly why we want you in the family of God. Family of God should be a place where it is safe not to blend in, and yet you feel like you belong. If you look around and you go, this church is all young people, I feeling older, gosh, we could use some older people here. Please stay. If you're here today and you're looking around and you're going, man, everybody here seems to be, um, man, not very attractive. Man, we could use some more attractive people. Just stay. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but we're all very attractive. You guys look great. It is a place though, man, I wish. So a couple of weeks ago, I got to marry another Eastside couple, Katie and Eric, and it was wonderful to get to do their wedding. What a privilege to see a couple who met here serving on a Sunday morning, fall in love and get married. And I love it that I hope that the church would be a safe place for you to ask somebody out and then to break up and stay part of the same body of believers or to get married. Man, how will we do any of those things though if we don't gather, if we aren't together? This is who the church is it's a safe place to fall in love it's a safe place to not blend in it's a safe place to make friends it's also a safe place to build relationships with people who are very different than you and I want us to be known not as a group of people who gravitate away from people that are different but people who are drawn in by difference People who, When you look around at church and you see somebody sitting by themselves on a Sunday at worship, part of you would go, I wonder if they're here by themselves and if they would want to be welcomed, if they would want to be cared for. That when you meet somebody here and you're like, oh, that person's a lot older than me or a lot younger than me or seems like they come from a different way of life than I do or I wonder how much English they speak, that part of us would be drawn towards that, not feel like we need to isolate from it. This is the work of the body of Christ. Church is not a chore, it's not an obligation. Being part of a local body, it should be ignored to your detriment and to your peril. This is what we do, we gather. I've heard the argument so many times that especially during COVID when we weren't able to gather, people would say, well, actually, I feel like I can just worship from home and it's basically the same thing. Or I can be a Christian and not go to church. I've heard that for decades. I can be a Christian and not go to church. And is that true? It is just as true as saying, like, when my wife and I are not in the same room or not in the same city, are we still married? Yes. Can we have a healthy marriage if we are never in the same room and never in the same city? No. So is it technically true that you don't have to come to church to be a Christian? You don't have to be in the body of believers to be… Yeah, Absolutely. But Bonhoeffer would say, while there are people who are sick and in prison and scattered who don't have the privilege of gathering, those who do have the privilege of gathering should take full advantage of it because it's to your benefit and to mine if we gather as a church, if we are together. See, because church is not a group of strangers. And if you're new to Eastside and it's mostly strangers, I totally get that. But if you're a couple years into Eastside and being part of this and everybody's still a stranger, then come talk to me. Because I don't want you to be part of a church where you are not known and where you know no one. And the longer you're here, I hope the more known you are and the more you know others. But if we can help you get into biblical community in a home group or serving as we serve together or involved in one of our nonprofits that we partner with to help change things in the city so that not only we might do the work we're called to, but that you might be known and sanctified, then let us help you do that. And I'll say lastly, the church is not a money-hungry organization who is trying to sell you something. Eastside is not trying, is not after something from you. We're not like some organization that we have this hidden structure and then there's all our people. You people are our customers. No, I just told you, you're not consumers. You're not customers. You are the church. We are the church. So do we pool our income in order to achieve what the Lord has called us to? Absolutely. But the goal of Eastside is not making some small group of people richer. It's providing for those who have needs. That's what we do. So we are not trying to create consumers, we're trying to cultivate faith. Why? Listen to me, when the Lord found you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, when he found you, what did you have to offer him? What did you have that was so impressive to him? Was it was it your behavior? Was it that you had uh, deprived yourself of something that seemed bad? Was it that you had chased things that seemed good? Is that why the Lord loved you? Is because You were enough for him or were you like every other human being short of Jesus Christ loved in spite of the fact that you had nothing to offer? That's the way the Lord loved you and that exact way is the way he's called us to love one another. Not that we'd be part of a believer, a body of believers because this body has something to offer me. And we wouldn't be part of a group of believers because uh, this is the best deal in town. And at the same time, I get selecting your church and being part of a church. I'm not against you going to another church. It's not an argument about why you should stay at Eastside instead of any other church. Man, I love so many other churches in our community. I love Northway and PCPC and Mosaic and White Rock Fellowship and Schofield, whose building we're meeting. And man, there are so many great churches. And I hope they tell you the same thing I'm telling you, that you shouldn't be bouncing from one to another, spectating and being entertained, but rather plugging in and being part of the body where you are are known where instead of consuming you're a contributor a family member you think of the metaphors the lord gave us for our church he said your church is like temple stones built on one another it's like together we build something apart we're just a rock but together we build something for worship he so said, you guys are like members of a body. He said, like, some of you guys are like hands, some of you guys are eyes, some of you guys are hair, which sounds wonderful. I wonder what that's like. Some of you guys are feet. Some of you guys, man, you are just all different, but together you make something beautiful together. And he also said, you guys, you're like citizens in a kingdom. It's like you're one nation, but if you're just one person, you can't be the nation, but together you make up this kingdom. And then the last metaphor he gives, he describes us like members of a family, like brothers and sisters. And what healthy family never gathers? What healthy family doesn't worship together? Can you be a family and not be together? Technically, but what healthy family never talks, never knows, never seeks? A healthy family is one who gathers. And why do we gather? It's not to serve ourselves, it's not to consume It's to contribute. And what do we contribute? Worship, service. We are here to remind each other that there is something bigger than all of us. And when we need care, we point to God. We don't seeing wounds in one another, trying to find ways to avoid them and isolate from them, but rather point ourselves back to God the Father who has already accomplished more than we could ask or imagine in his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. So let us, Eastside, be a church that honors, worships, guides, protects, serves, and cultivates. And let us be a church that does that to glorify not our brand, not our amenities, not our products, our staff, or our beautiful people, but the name of our God. That Jesus Christ might be remembered and known in this city because of the work that you do with me for the sake of his holy name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been so good to us to gather us together as a group of believers who want to love and serve you, who who have come to know you through your own mercy and grace, not because we merited it, not because we earned it or deserved it, but rather, Lord, because you loved us. You loved us first, you loved us best. You knew us first and you knew us best. And so, Lord, today, I pray that you open up our eyes to what it means to be your faithful body at work in this city for the sake of your holy name. Lord, I pray, like Psalm 84 said, that we would be delighted to be together, to worship together, that our souls would long for this. And I pray these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.